the service. If you look at page 8 of your bulletin, you'll see our passage from Acts 28 for this morning. We are concluding our series in Acts today, and we'll start our Advent series next Sunday. Acts gives us a historical account of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles to gather and grow his church, even to the ends of the earth. And we've said each week that we are actually beneficiaries sitting here this morning of the gospel going forth, forming a church and going to the ends of the earth. We are that people at the ends of the earth. And so we are beneficiaries of this good news that goes forward in Acts. Um, There have been so many moments in the life of our church in the last 11 months where I have thought, uh, wouldn't it be great if someone could just give us a step-by-step how-to plan for this church? Um, Whether it's finding meeting space or gathering people or when to start worship or rolling out our neighborhood groups. Um, All throughout the last 11 months, it's been this series of nonstop decisions about how to do the particular things that we are doing given our context in this area with these people. And I have thought multiple times a roadmap would be so helpful for what we're doing. Uh, The book of Acts, as we've looked at it, gives us scene after scene of new ministry, uh, of people believing for the first time, of churches gathering together. And the book actually ends in the same way. The final two verses of Acts, which we're looking at this morning, they give us a roadmap for how to continue to reach people with the good news of Jesus. So I said at the beginning, our vision as a church is to see every person in every surrounding neighborhood gathered together around the good news of Jesus Christ and made new in him. All right, so how do we do that? Our passage tells us, Acts 28, 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The word of the Lord. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for this series in Acts. And as we look at these final two verses of the book this morning, would you, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us and meet us and grow us individually and as a church family? Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, So Jack Nicklaus is considered uh, to be one of the greatest golfers of all time. Um, I'm not really a golfer. Some of you are. Um, A lot of you probably know that name. He won over 117 tournaments in his career, won the Masters six times. Uh, which is, I mean, that's, those are some legendary numbers. Um, all right, do you know the one thing that he's maybe most uh, famous for in his golf career? Uh, his unwavering focus on the fundamentals of golf. It's said that at the start of every season, he would tell his coach, every season as a pro, he would say, all right, teach me to play golf. Teach me how to swing a club. Teach me how to putt. Teach me how to do this. Every season throughout, throughout his entire professional career, he would ask his coach to teach him the fundamentals once again. This would be like uh, Michael Jordan or LeBron James at the beginning of every season, starting a season by saying, all right, coach, teach me how to shoot this basketball. 
How do I do this? How do I pass the ball? Um, it was an unwavering focus on the fundamentals. Uh, Margaret, my third grader, uh, this past fall at Sarah Collins has been working on her uh, multiplication times tables. And so she'll come home and make flashcards and work on them. And so we're like working on them with her. And as she's been doing all this, um, it brought me back to when I was learning all this. And it made me realize how often and how just embedded all these times tables are in my own mind and how often I use them. Right. It's like this fundamental thing that you just hear time and time again that gets so ingrained that you end up really needing and really using for the rest of your life. All right. The final two verses in Acts, they show Paul, the Apostle Paul, staying committed to the fundamentals of ministry. Um, In many ways, Acts actually begins the same way that it ends uh, with hospitality and sharing the good news of Jesus. So what is the tension in this passage? We always say that there's tension in the passage because we are um, broken, sinful, rebellious people. And the scriptures are perfectly true. And so anytime those things come together, there's going to be tension there. There's going to be ways that challenges our beliefs or our our life. What's the tension in these two verses? Um, The tension is that we love new We love new ideas. We love new content. Uh, Our brains are just wired all the time for more new content. Every time we scroll through our feeds on our phone, we get the rush of new. And that quest for newness uh, can so easily translate into how we think about our life together as a church. And how we even think about the message of the church and what we ought to proclaim as a body. Uh, One of my seminary professors would always say, uh, dare to be boring in your teaching and preaching. Dare to be boring. And what he meant by that was just get up there and say what the Bible says. And it may feel boring, but be weary of yourself if you find yourself saying something new because it's probably heresy. Dare to be boring. Stick to the main things of the Bible. All right, so here's a question I want us to think about this morning. What are the main things in the book of Acts that we need to keep as our main things at resurrection? Two headings, welcoming and proclaiming. First, welcoming. Look at verse 30. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him. All right, so this is the Apostle Paul. He's in Rome. He's actually in prison at this point, but he has a lot of, pri- of privilege as a prisoner. He's able to actually work to sustain, to sustain himself, to live on his own. He's generating some sort of income, um, but there's likely a soldier that's guarding him or overseeing him. Um, and he lives like this for two years. And it says that he, quote, welcomed all who came to him. I right, say, so who did Paul welcome? Um, One of the biggest themes in Acts and the biggest themes of the New Testament is that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, uh, both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, This has been a major theme that's popped up in almost every passage that we've looked at in this series. The Jews were the Old Testament people of God. Uh, They were his people, had his promises. Genesis 12 says that God blessed his people so that they would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So it was that God zeroed in on a a particular people, so that by pouring into these people, they may pour out to all the families of the earth. So it was blessed 
to be a blessing. That was a vision that God gave them in Genesis 12. But they twisted this. They twisted God's good favor to them and they became selfish with it where they cherished his promises for themselves, but they weren't agents of blessing for others. And there actually uh, was created a great division between those who were the Jews, God's people, and those who were Gentiles, non-Jews. And so some devout Jews began to then actually like disdain uh, the Gentile people. And that just built and built up over generations. And it's at a tipping point in the New Testament and particularly in Acts. And so when Jesus, the rescuer, comes, the hearts of some of these devout religious Jews, it was so hardened that they didn't even recognize Jesus as the Messiah. And that is so, what I just said is, is so much of what the New Testament is unpacking and trying to help us understand. And even just before these two verses in our passage, Paul tells them, he's speaking to a Jewish people in a synagogue in Rome, he tells them in no uncertain terms, he's quoting Isaiah, one of their prophets, and it says about the Jews, he says, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. Very harsh words that they're missing Jesus. They're missing the Messiah. And yet, Paul still always brought the good news of Jesus to Jewish people in his synagogue, wherever he went. That's always his first stop. That's the context behind verse 30 of our passage, where Paul is then welcoming all into his midst for those two years. Guess who that all includes? Jews and Gentiles, both, everyone. The gospel is for everyone. It's good news for everyone. And our welcome and hospitality to others is a primary way that this gets worked out. So the welcome and hospitality that we see in Paul is actually a theme throughout Acts. And it was a distinct mark of the early church. So if I can do just a little sidebar on hospitality in the early church, I think this is so important for us to think about in our moment. Uh, there's a professor and scholar named Christine Pohl. She was at Asbury Seminary for a long time, and she wrote a book called Making Room. And her book, Making Room, she basically unpacks um, hospitality in the early church and how significant it was. It's a great book, uh, but she highlights four things in particular about hospitality in the early church. And the first thing she said is this, that hospitality brought unity along lines of division. Hospitality in the early church brought unity along lines of division. She says that shared meals were a significant setting for people to struggle through these cultural boundaries in the early church. So think about the boundaries um, that we're talking about in this passage here between Jew and Gentile, right? Um, So as a Jew and Gentile come to faith in Jesus and they sit around the same table, um, that meal becomes a place where they can work out their real cultural differences, but now their new unity In Jesus. Hospitality brought unity across lines of division. Secondly, she says that hospitality furthered the spread of the gospel in new places. We've seen this throughout Acts where um, a follower of Jesus would go to a new city to tell others about Jesus. And where would that person stay in the new city? With other followers of Jesus. So their homes, their hospitality became this uh, central point of how the gospel would move forward during the early church. The third thing she says that is that hospitality was the context for worship. Where did these Christians gather for worship? We've asked ourselves that same question a lot lately. Where did these Christians gather for worship? In homes. 
The, the hospitality of people in their homes, that, that was the context for where worship started in the early church. And listen to what she says. She says that it helped to foster family-like ties among believers and provided a setting in which to shape and to reinforce a new identity. So hospitality was it reinforced an identity. So think about this. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, we became a new creation in Christ. That's our new identity. And so when we gather around a meal with other new creations in Christ, we are reinforcing for one another our new identity in Jesus. And we're helping to shake off the old identity that we're leaving behind. Uh, practically speaking, if you're in a neighborhood group, think about how that works itself out as you gather each week for a meal and laughter and tears and mundane day-to-day life and um, prayer and discussing the scriptures and the sermon from that week. When we gather in our neighborhood groups in in that hospitable moment, uh, we are reinforcing our new identity in Jesus. Fourth thing that Christine Pohl says, she says that hospitality was a mark of leadership in the early church. It was such a big deal to the early church. And we'll talk about this as we talk about having our own church officers this next year. But hospitality was such a big deal that it was like um, sort of permission to play as a leader. That if, if, if you're not doing hospitality and welcome, then that automatically disqualifies you from being a leader in God's church. That's how big of a deal it was for the early church. So hospitality and welcome were central in the life of God's people in the early church. And Paul is modeling that for us. Um, What would it look like for us as a new church to welcome all? What would this look like in your life, in your home, in your neighborhood group, in our worship services, in other gatherings that we do? Think about this. Think about any amazing customer service experience you've had somewhere. Um, Zappos is sort of known as one of these companies with outstanding, the, shoe, the online shoe company, um, is known as one of these companies with outstanding customer service. And if you've ever had to talk to them on the phone, it's, it typically goes pretty well. But what do they think about? They're trained, these people on the phone are not trained to think about like their own needs and conveniences. That would be a very interesting conversation. They're trained to think about you and to cater to your needs and to see what is the issue? What's really going on here? How can we help? Um, at the bedrock of welcoming others is to consider their needs and their preferences as greater than your own. The same thing gets worked out when we have people into our own home. We want to cater to our guests and to welcome them and love them well. Uh, Let me approach this idea of hospitality from a different direction. How about um, in thinking about evangelism? That can be a very cringy word because I think if we're honest, if we're really honest, we don't really want to do evangelism. That makes us cringe. Nor do we want to like, be recipients of evangelism. Like That feels a little like, oh, I don't know that I want to be a part of that conversation. All right. Do you know what evangelism in the early church looked like? It was hospitality. It was hospitality. They invited those who didn't believe into their homes, into their gatherings, so that they might feel the gospel even before they believe the gospel. Uh, Think about one of your neighbors, one of your actual neighbors that maybe doesn't believe. Uh, Rather than getting stressed out about when and how to tell them about Jesus, um, what if as a first step you just had them over for a meal in your home? 
with no agenda other than to welcome them and love them and break bread with them and get to know them. Hospitality as a way of sharing the good news of Jesus with others. Think about your neighborhood group. If you're connected to a neighborhood group, um, what if you invited someone into your neighborhood group who had no church home and wasn't even connected to resurrection? Maybe they just knew a couple people in your group and you let them just hang out with your group and eat and drink and sort of just be a fly on the wall with the discussion and the prayer requests. What if your neighborhood group became like a side door into the life of resurrection and more importantly, into new life in Jesus for somebody? All right, what about us as a gathered church on Sundays? Think back, and this may be your first time here this morning, but think back uh, to your first time walking into one of our gatherings. Um, What an intimidating thing. Um, Sometimes as the newness wears off of something, we can start to feel like, insiders and really comfortable with our surroundings and we can lose our eyes to see those who are just setting foot in the door for the first time. Uh, so welcome uh, at a worship service for us would be to, uh, for us to remember to have eyes to see those who are new and to immediately invite them into the life of what we're doing, whether it's a neighborhood group or brunch afterwards or dinner afterwards in a few weeks um, or whatever it may be. Um, here's a vision for us as a new church. What if resurrection was a place where those in our surrounding neighborhoods who don't yet believe could come and get a feel for what it might be like to believe? What if they could get just a slow drip over weeks and months of what it's like to know the love and grace and freedom of life in Jesus simply by just being around our people? It's just a half sentence in our passage in verse 30. But it is one of the most predominant themes of actually the entire Bible. And it's very clearly on the roadmap for the future of the church. Welcome and hospitality. Um, When uh, Aaron and I got married, we went on our honeymoon in Mexico. And uh, my father-in-law very generously arranged the honeymoon and took care of all of it for us. um, Which was just such a gift above and beyond. And Um, It was an incredible week at an amazing resort. Um, The customer service and hospitality at this place where we went was unlike anything I've ever experienced. Um, Anything you wanted was yours. They couldn't wait to just help you and make sure you had everything that you needed in order to have the best stay. What was interesting, though, is um, because it was all arranged by my father-in-law, whose name is Mr. Zimmer, um, his name was on file. Our room was under his name. And so every time they would see me, for instance, okay, here's an example. I'm not sure what skirt steak is, but they had these skirt steak nachos at this place that I couldn't get enough of. And so, and they they realized that about me. So they would come up and they would say, Mr. Zimmer, would you like more skirt steak nachos? And at the beginning of the week, I tried to correct them and explain, well, that's actually my father-in-law. My name's John, you know, and eventually I just stopped. I was like, okay, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to stop correcting them. And so they just called me Mr. Zimmer for the rest of the week. Um, And that was a perfect picture of the reality of what was really happening. Um, I was experiencing the most over-the-top welcome and hospitality based not on my name, not on my worth, but because of the name and worth of somebody else. My name alone, my worth alone would not have gotten me into that resort. But Mr. Zimmers did. The welcome that Paul is modeling for us a welcome that is extended to those who are different, 
those who are unworthy, is a welcome that flows out of the very message that he was proclaiming. That Jesus, by his death and resurrection, welcomes those who are unworthy into his presence to dine at his table. Let's talk about that message that Paul was proclaiming. Look at verse 31. It says he was proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Okay, these two things were central for Paul multiple times in Acts. The author Luke tells us that Paul was proclaiming the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ. So first, the kingdom of God. Um, In the very first passage that we looked at in Acts, it was Jesus was speaking. It was after he was resurrected from the dead, before he ascended back to the Father. So Jesus was on earth with his disciples. And it said that he taught his disciples about his kingdom. It was a main talking point for Jesus. What is the kingdom of God? Here's a definition for us. It is not an earthly political kingdom. It's not that. It's not a military kingdom. But it is the present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individual lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. It is not an earthly political or military kingdom, but the kingdom of God is the present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individual lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this kingdom of God is gradually transforming us, the church, and the world. And it is already here, but it's not yet fully here. Already Not yet. Jesus has come and lived and died and was resurrected. The kingdom is already here, yet it is not fully realized. There's still work to do. We are not yet fully who we will be at one time. The church is not yet fully who she will be at one time. We are a work in progress. Uh, And as followers of Jesus the King, we get to be participants in his kingdom work. Uh, We embody this new kingdom life together as a church family when we gather together like this to honor the king of the kingdom, right? And to begin to order our lives around his kingdom way of life uh, with hospitality and love for our neighbors and pursuing justice and being merciful to others and living pure lives and pointing others to Jesus. We get to be uh, participants in this kingdom work because we're citizens of this kingdom. This kingdom that's already here, but not yet fully here. Um, And the news of this coming kingdom was central to Paul. And it's part of this roadmap for the future of the church that we will be kingdom people living our lives according to this kingdom, always pointing to the coming king. So Paul talked about the kingdom of God. Secondly, he talked about the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in verse 31. All right, for different audiences and acts, There was no denying that Jesus was real, but all the controversy came around his resurrection. If you look at all the speeches and sermons and acts, when one of the apostles talks about the resurrection, there is a reaction in the audience. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Some believe, some have questions, some mock and are out of there. Some begin to riot or start to persecute them. Uh, But the death and resurrection of Jesus was the main thing that Paul and his apostles spoke of in their sermons. All right, so we're approaching Christmas season. For many, it starts on Friday. In our house, it started on November 1st. 
Um, so we're well into it. But the song that you will likely hear most, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, this year is a song Last Christmas by Wham. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't look it up. Um, the song was written in 1984 and has actually only grown in popularity since 1984. It actually just hit number one in the UK January 1st of this year. Um, which apparently for a song to hit number one in the UK is a really big deal. Um, but it just did that January 1st of this year. Some people really love this song. Some people don't love this song. Apparently, I think it was during 2020, there was a social media game called Whamageddon, where for December 1st or December 24th, the object of the game was to not hear the song Last Christmas by Wham. The point was to never hear it. And if you heard it, you had to like out yourself on social media and then you lost the game. But there's something about this song that just gets drilled down into your mind and you just can't stop singing. It's sort of just like always haunting you. Um, why? Because it gets played over and over and over on any Spotify Christmas playlist or on any radio station playing Christmas music. It is on repeat this time of year. Y'all, the death and resurrection of Jesus was on repeat for the apostles and for Paul. It was the main thing they kept coming back to again and again. If you read through Acts, it almost feels like, all right, I kind of feel like this thing just happened like a couple chapters ago. Like this whole scenario, this message was kind of the same as it was before. You're exactly right. There's unbelievable repetition of these apostles talking about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is the main thing. Why? If the resurrection didn't happen, then all that Jesus did and said does not matter. All of it hangs on an actual physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, which Paul was saying and we are saying the Bible says actually happened. And if Jesus really walked out of the tomb, we have to listen to all of who he was and all that he said. And all that the scriptures have to say. It all hangs on the resurrection. It is the main thing. And it is the main thing for us as a new church. Uh, there is so much that we could make central about who we are and who we hope to become as a church. For us, Jesus and his death and resurrection will be the main thing. And as Paul shared the message of Jesus in his kingdom, how did it go forward? It says it went forward with all boldness and without hindrance. Uh, the good news of the resurrected king and his coming kingdom goes forth with all boldness and without hindrance. Do you see that at the end of Acts, do you see the final words? The final words are without hindrance. Listen to what Dennis Johnson, one scholar, says about this. He says, this is the point that Luke leaves with us. The bearers of God's word may be afflicted and restricted, but the message itself goes forward unchained, unrestrained, and without hindrance, even through their sufferings. What Paul is going to say in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew and also to the Greek. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who would believe. And it goes forward with all boldness and without hindrance. 
uh, in the midst of all the unknowns of the future of our new little church, what is guaranteed? That the good news will go forth, period. And all of you are invited and welcomed into this good news this morning. Uh, Jesus the King offers himself to you. He offers you a seat at his table. And that seat is not based on your own merit. It is not based on the good that you have done. Because if it were, none of us would be qualified to pull up a chair to his table. The seat at the king's table is based on what he has done for you in his perfect life and death and resurrection on your behalf. When you embrace that as your own, that is when you are invited to come to the table. So once you do so this morning, let's pray. Father, thank you for the good news that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again on our behalf and will come again to make us and all things new. And thank you that this message of good news will go forth.